Namacharya Jorayas Sakur Kita, Brahms Kaushikishan Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shiroi Tudadhar Shivasati Gaur Bhaktaminda Kita, Shishi Radha Krishna Gaugopina Shaimakanda Radha Kandigiri Govardhan Kita, Rindavanam Kita, Turadam Kita, Yavadri Mayapurnam Kita, Nathpuridam Kita, Gagamai Dunadevi Kita, Bhakti Devi Kita, Tosi Maharani Kita, Samaveta Bhakti Rindu Kita, all glories to the assembly. All glories to the assembly. All glories to the assembly. All glories to Sri Guru and Baranga. 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 All glories to Sri Guru and Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Uttamaparakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnamam Shchala Shri Rupam Sabrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam Vitam Sam Sajinam Sadhavaitam Sadhavaitam Parijana Sarita very child-friendly temple. So many children in Mangalarti and Giddy Giddy class, and you're just listening to class like a grown-up. How old are you? Seven. Can I ask you some questions at the end of the class? Is that right? Okay. There's going to be four things to listen for. I'm not going to ask them because they're colored. But there's going to be four things to listen for. Do you think I could ask you that at the end? Oh, no, but
what's, what's normally done. And the nifrity. Not really what's normally done. Any other words here people recognize? Moksha, which is liberation. Someone else? Ratis, which means attraction or attachment. Okay? Any other word? There's at least one more word that jumps out at me that we should know. Shame, which means? Hmm? Welfare. Welfare. Yes. Or protection. Okay, going through the word for word here. Oh, one more, one more. Gromia. Gromia, what does that mean? Like village. Like village, right? We usually hear Gromia Kata, right? Don't engage in, in Gromia Kata. What's Gromia Kata? Monday. Monday talk. Like, oh, did you hear me? No, I don't know. That's Gromia Kata. Okay, Gromia. Gromia. Conventional. Conventional. Dharma. Dharma. Religious practice. Religious practice. Nivritihi. Nivritihi. Ceasing. Ceasing. Cha. Cha. And. And. Moksha. Moksha. For salvation. For salvation. Dharma. Dharma. Religious practice. Religious practice. Rati. Rati. Being attracted to. Being attracted to. Tata. Tata. In that way. In that way. Mitta. Mitta. Little. Little. Medja. Medja. Pure. Pure. Adhanam. Eating. Eating. Shasva. Shasva. Always. The Vikta. Secluded. Secluded. Shema. Shema. Peaceful. Peaceful. Sevena. Dwelling. Dwelling. Anyone have any idea why Shema might be translated here as peaceful? That's what I was thinking at first. That Shema means forgiving. That's where I was first going with this. That Shema means forgiving and therefore peaceful. But I was wrong. Yeah. I spent a long time preparing in that way, and then and I was wrong. This is a different shema. But there are two important verses in Bhagavad that mention shema. Anybody know what they are? Yoga shema. Yoga shema Yaham, which is nine twenty-two. And the other one, which also says yoga shema, is? No, 245, I think it is. 243, 245. Near yoga So think about this, and we'll answer the question later on. Translation and purport by Shiva Prabhupada. One should cease. What does cease mean? Do you know? Any idea? means to stop. If there's something you don't understand, will you ask me? Is that okay? Since you're sitting right in front and not even distracting yourself and so attentive. What's your name? Krishna. Huh? Krishna. Krishna. Oh, nice thing. So I'll read Prabhupada's translation and maybe then I'll simplify it for you, Krishna. Is that all right? One should cease performing conventional religious practices and should be attracted to those which lead to salvation. One should eat very frugally and should always remain secluded so that he can achieve the highest perfection of life. So one should cease performing conventional religious practices. I mean, you should stop doing what ordinary people do. And you should be attracted to those which lead to salvation. I mean, you should really like the kind of things that will help you become liberated. When you eat very frugally, that means not too much. Of course, when you're seven, you should probably eat a lot. So that instruction is not for you. 
And one should always remain secluded. So one should be in a nice, peaceful, quiet place so that he can achieve the highest perfection of all. Okay? So those were the four things here. We're going to talk about those four things, all right? And then I'm going to ask you that at the end. So are you guys going to listen to? You sure? Okay. So then can I ask you also at the end? Philip Prabhupada's program. It is recommended herein that religious practice for economic development or the satisfaction of sense desires should be avoided. Religious, oh, are you going to listen to? Or are you going to play? This is Hare Krishna. Yeah, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Are you going to listen to the class too? Or are you going to do something else? Are you going to listen? Okay, how old are you? Oh, that's so grown up. And you're going to listen to the class? Okay, very good. Religious practices should be executed only to gain freedom from the clutches of material nature. Now, these, these first two sentences in the purport remind us of a verse in the first canto of the Bhagavatam. And Prabhupada was once asked by a scholar, if you only had one verse to explain your whole mission, what would it be? And he chose that verse. That uh, activity should not be performed for sense gratification. Activity should be performed for liberation. It is stated in the beginning of Srimad Bhagavatam that the topmost religious practice is that by which one can attain to the transcendental loving service of the Lord without reason or cause. Such religious practice is never hampered by any impediments, and by its performance, one actually becomes satisfied. What verse is that? So what we really should do is something that brings us to devotional service, and when we really love Krishna, nothing can stop us, and that will make us truly happy. Is it all right if I keep translating for the children? It's okay with everybody? Very good. Okay. I figure I'm going to be one of them in a few years, so. <clears throat> I appreciate it. <laughs> Here this is recommended as moksha dharma, religious practice for salvation, or transcendence of the clutches of material contamination. Generally, people execute religious practices for economic development or sense gratification, but that is not recommended for one who wants to advance in yoga. The next important phrase is mitya medya dhanam, which means that one should eat very frugally, except that's not for the children, because your bodies are growing, right? So if when you're a child you eat very little, uh, then you won't develop properly. So that's a time, place, and circumstance instruction. Or for pregnant ladies, it's not for you. It is recommended in the Vedic literatures that a yogi eat only half what he desires according to his hunger. This is Srila Prabhupada's yogic diet plan. Right? They have this kind of diet, that kind of diet, right? All these different fad diets. So here Prabhupada's giving a diet. Yogi eat half of what he desires according to his hunger. If one is so hungry that he can devour one pound of foodstuffs, then instead of eating one pound, how much should he eat? Half a pound. I was asking that. Oh, so sorry. That's okay. Sorry. Instead of eating one pound, he, could eat, he should consume only half a pound and supplement this with four ounces of water. 
Probably none of you know what ounces are. <laughs> That's a half of a cup. One fourth of the stomach should be left empty for passage of air in the stomach. So a pound being 16 ounces. So half of 16 is eight. And four ounces is a half again of eight. We have our, our Bhagavatam math lesson for today. If one eats in this manner, he will avoid indigestion and disease. The yogi should eat in this way as recommended in the Srimad Bhagavatam and all other standard scriptures. The yogi should live in a secluded place where his yoga practice will not be disturbed. Gramya dharma nivrittischa moksha dharma rutistita mitta media dhanam jashva vivikta prema sevanam. One should cease performing, let's see what the four points here that we should do. First one, one should cease performing conventional religious practice. First point. Second point, and should be attracted to those which lead to salvation. Third point, one should eat very frugally. Fourth point, one should always remain secluded. And why should we do these four things? So that one can achieve the highest perfection. So first we have to decide what is our goal. Whenever we're starting something, we always need to know where we're going to. Isn't that right? What do you want to achieve? Whenever you start something, whenever you get in a car, right? How you right? So when you get in a car, you have some place you want to go, right? You know, just get in a car. I mean, when I was a teenager, we used to just get in a car and drive around. But that was when gas was only 27 cents a gallon. So generally, when you, when you walk, when you get in a car, you get in a plane, you're doing something, you have a purpose. You have something you want to achieve. So this verse is assuming that one wants to achieve the highest perfection of life. In fact, that particular statement, so that one can achieve the highest perfection of life, is not literally in the Sanskrit. Uh, that's already understood from the context. So if you want to achieve something other than the highest perfection of life, then this verse is not applicable to you. It's not, you know, it's the wrong uh, recipe. Like if you want to make chapatis, you're not going to use cauliflower. <laughs> you have the wrong recipe. So if you want to try to stay in this material world and enjoy a material body and a material mind and stay here life after life, then please don't follow the instructions of this verse because it will get you to a different place. Hmm? Just like Rupa Goswami said, if you want to enjoy life in this world, don't even look at, at Krishna. Don't even look at Govinda because then your, your ability to enjoy the world will be ruined. So this is just a warning for all of us. Uh, if, you want, if you look at Krishna, if you follow these instructions, your ability to enjoy the material world, your ability to imagine you're enjoying the material world would be more accurate, uh, will be destroyed. You won't be able to keep up that illusion. Uh, you won't be able to pretend anymore. People are pretending they're enjoying the world. They're not really. They just make a show. They just say, here I am, enjoying the world. And actually inside they're thinking, this is right, that's right, why can't I get this, what's that, what's that? But how are you? I'm fine. 
so if you do these four things, you won't be able to do that anymore. You won't be able to, to actually believe that materialistic consciousness will get you happiness. But if you want to find the highest, Prabhupada uses this, the highest perfection. What is the highest perfection? Prema Pumartha Mahan. What is the highest perfection? Love for Krishna. Now, it's questionable uh, whether all of us, and I am including myself in this, really and truly want that. That is a questionable proposition. Uh, we may say we want that and actually be wanting something else and thinking that, well, that's probably the best way to get that. We may really be wanting just to enjoy our senses or just to enjoy our ego or even to get free of distress. And Krishna says this in the Bhagavad Gita, said people come to me who want material happiness, who want to get free of material distress, who are curious, and who want ultimate spiritual knowledge. So that may be what we really want. In fact, in the beginning, that probably is what we really want, according to Krishna. So we probably don't really want the highest perfectional stage of life. Krishna says the purpose of sadhana bhakti is so we will want, so we will get that itcha, that desire. The more that we see Sri Sri Gornitai and Radhavalva, Jagannath Bala and Subhadra, the more we associate with Srila Prabhupada and our Guru Parampara, the more we associate with the devotees, the more we eat prasana, the more we hear the books, the more we chant Hare Krishna, the more that desire that, oh, I think I really want to love Krishna, will start to awaken in us. We'll say, yeah, maybe I really don't want just to be happy in this world. Maybe I don't just want, you know, a big car and a fancy house and lots of money and, you know, a fancy uh, job and all that. Maybe I want to just fall in love with Krishna. So if we think we might possibly want to fall in love with Krishna, if I asked everybody here, would you like to fall in love with Krishna, everybody would probably say, oh yes, that's why I'm sitting in this Bhagavatam class instead of doing something else. (laughs) But if we think we might like to possibly want to, want to, want to, fall in love with Krishna, then we might want to take up the four things mentioned in this verse, because they will be very effective for that end. So the first thing is Gramya Dharma Nivritin's job. Don't do ordinary work. Don't do ordinary prescribed duties. And it's fascinating that this verse comes right after the previous verse, which says, Swadharma Charanam Shaktya. Do the work which is given to you and don't do anyone else's work. And Prabhupada in the previous purport said, as long as you're in the bodily concept of life, you have to follow Varnashram. You can give up Varnashram when you're self-realized. So we should wonder here why in this verse, very next statement, Lord Kapiladev says, do your own work, don't do somebody else's work, but don't do the ordinary work of the world. So Lord Kapiladev is saying, if you want to love Krishna, do not do the ordinary work of the world. When we talk about the duty prescribed for us, that's not what we mean. Well, would that mean, and we talked about this in Manashiksha, and I thought it very humorous that Krishna arranged this verse for me to speak on because uh, two of the principles here are, are just right with Raghunathaswa Swami says in the Manashiksha. So would this mean that if we want to love Krishna, if we want the highest, the best thing in life, that we shouldn't follow Varnashram Dharma. Is that what it means? Just think about that for a minute. If we didn't follow anything of ordinary life, what would we be called? 
There's a Sanskrit term for a person who doesn't follow any of the ordinary things in life. An avaduta. Right? Who acted like an avaduta? Does anybody know? Jad Bharat. Jad Bharat acted like he couldn't hear, couldn't see, couldn't speak. You know? He didn't take a bath. He had a black Brahmin's thread. All right? Who else acted like an avaduta? Hmm? Sukadev Goswami went around naked. Who else acted like an avaduta? Nityananda. Who else acted? Because at one point, Lord Chaitanya told him, now just settle down, get married. <laughs> Who else acted like an avaduta? Hmm? The Avanti Brahmana, yes. Who else? That python-like devotee, that Prahlad, the python man, <laughs> that Prahlad Maharaj found. Who else acted like an avaduta? Rishabdev. When Maharaj Yudhisthira took Vanaprastha, he basically acted like an avaduta. Uh, do you think that it would be appropriate as servants of Srila Prabhupada for all of us to act like avadutas? What do you think? Do you think Srila Prabhupada would be pleased with that? Do you think Lord Shaitanya would be pleased with that? No. No. So what does it mean here that we should give up ordinary work? What does that mean for us? Yes? It means that rather than uh, give up our, um, our station in life, that the pursuit should be for spiritual progress, not for material progress. Ah, so instead of giving up the external behaviors, we change the motivation. <coughs> and that's exactly what Shula Prabhupada says in this purport which is coming right from a verse in the first canto, he says, you can look like an ordinary person, but don't have the same motivations. And in fact, Mahaprabhu told this specifically to which of the Goswamis? Raghunath Das Goswami. He said, stop being a crazy fellow. He said, act ordinary. He said, you'll get a chance to take up the renounced life later. And when Raghunath Das Goswami became a renunciate, he, he wasn't an avaduta. He was a renunciate. So generally, Lord Chaitanya wants us to appear as if we're ordinary people of the world. That's why in uh, the Manashiksha, when we talked about giving up dharma and adharma, I suggested that instead we have the mentality of being... Give up dharma and adharma. What do we do instead? Anybody remember from verse 2 of Manasha? This is what you were talking undercover agent. Yes, Krishna's secret agent. This means that to everyone else, you look like you're acting because you're a good brahmachari, or you're a good vanaprastha, or you're a good sannyasi, or you're a good husband, or you're a good wife, or you're a good mother, or you're a good father, or you're a good son, or you're a good daughter, or you're a good brother, or you're a good financial analyst. No. But that's not what's driving you. So if you say, well, I'm going to go to school because I want to be a good student, and I want to be a good son, and I want to make my parents happy, that's Gramya Dharma. The parents are never going to bring you to class. (laughs) Exactly, that's what we think. We hear this stuff and say, great, 
I don't have to do my schoolwork. I don't have to listen to my parents. I can just do whatever I want because I don't have to follow any Gramya Dharma. But that's another kind of Gramya Dharma. That's a Dharma, if you were to do that. You see, that's the problem. That's what the, the hippies, of course, they didn't call themselves hippies. They called themselves the counterculture or freaks. Called themselves hippies. But that was the mood of the people in the counterculture. They said, we're going to give up ordinary Dharma. And then what did they do instead? A Dharma. You follow? We're not going to get married. We're not going to take care of a home. We're not going to work a job. We're just going to have free illicit sex. We're not going to drink alcohol. We're going to smoke marijuana. So that was... (laughs) So that's not the solution. The solution for being in Rajagun, or maybe, maybe Sattvagun, is not not to go to Tamagun. It's not that the way you give up the problems of the mode of passion is you go to the ignorance. You know, not that, well, I'm not going to act as a good son, so I'll act as a bad son. I'm not going to be a good student, I'll be a bad student. No, 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 that's not what it means. It means the motive changes. The motive means, how can I make Krishna smile? Not, how can I make my mother smile? Not, how can I make my wife smile? Not, how can I make my employer smile? Not, how do I make the town president smile? Sorry. Now, I, now, I, now nobody will come to my class because I won't be invited back to the temple. So, if everybody's Krishna conscious, we'll be happy. Okay, that's how it works, isn't it? If someone's trying to make Krishna smile, then guess what? The, the, your leaders in the ashram, your family members, will at least be as happy as if you were trying to please them. They will at least be that happy. They may not be happier, but at least they'll be that happy. So is, how do we do this? We talked about this in Manashiksha. Anybody remember what I suggested? Yes? Become attached to Krishna. Yes, become... Automatically, Vairagya will follow Bhakti. Yes, exactly. You don't, work on, you don't have to really work on the Vairagya practically at all. I mean, really. Really seriously. It's not something we have to work on. It's something we should exhibit. But it's not something that we should be putting an effort into. And I gave the example that I could be talking to you, right? What's your name? Dhruv. I could be talking to Dhruv, but actually I could be trying to impress Hayagriva there. <laughs> the person I might really care about is Hayagriva, but I'm talking to Dhruv, but I'm kind of watching as Hayagriva paying attention. <laughs> right? And we often do this with Krishna, where we're looking at Krishna, oh, Krishna, but we really are saying, are you watching how devoted I am to Krishna? <laughs> so instead... We should take care of the people in the world and our duties in the world to impress Krishna. It's some, this is something we already know how to do. We're quite good at it. We do it quite a lot. We deal with one person to impress somebody else. So we should talk to our mother, not so our mother will be happy, but thinking Krishna's there and he's going to be smiling. So Hayagriva, hey, Hayagriva, is Krishna always here? Is he in your heart? Wherever you go, is Krishna with you? Is he watching? Is he listening? So everything you should do should be, is Krishna smiling at me? When we talk to our parents, to our spouses, to our children, to the other brahmacharis, to everybody, whoever we're talking to, our employer, our employee, we should think, Krishna's here. Is he there? Is that true? Yeah. So we don't have to imagine it, but you can imagine if you like, because it's real. Anyway, and you can imagine Krishna's sitting right there and he's like looking at me. Well, how are you going to behave? 
and then you talk to that person, behave with that person, so Krishna will be pleased. Now, most of the time, that's going to look just like ordinary dharma, isn't it? Because usually Krishna is pleased by ordinary dharma. Usually. Dharma Tushakshad Bhagavad Pranitam. Ordinary dharma. This gramya dharma actually comes from Krishna. So generally he's pleased by that. And usually if you're trying to make Krishna smile, that's you'll be doing the same things, but for a different purpose. Occasionally Krishna is pleased by things that are adharmic, materially speaking. Occasionally. Rare situations. Like Arjuna fighting with Bhishma, for example, would be materially adharmic. If we're going to distribute books, like in the beginning in Australia, the Harinam parties were always getting arrested. So to break the laws of your country is normally adharma, but I'm sure Krishna was very pleased. So what changes when we do this is that we become free from the burden of trying to impress other jivas, which is a very heavy burden, and we're never very good at it. Can you always please another jiva separately from Krishna? Is that possible? No. You will not be successful. So if you're trying to impress your wife that you're a very good husband, is it always going to work? No. (laughs) Definitely not. But if you're always trying to please Krishna, then even if your wife doesn't appreciate you, Krishna will still be pleased. Just the intention to please Krishna is enough. Anukulina Krishna, Anushilana. And this way we become, what Krishna explains in the Bhagavad Gita, someone who has no need to work and no need to give it up, and someone who's not dependent on any other living being. Wouldn't that be nice to have that freedom? To not have our happiness be dependent on what other people think of us, and not have our happiness dependent on whether or not other people say, yes, you are a very good wife. Because on Monday they may think that, and on Tuesday they may not. So that's the first thing. Remember I was going to ask you, Krishna, what were the four things? So first thing is don't do ordinary work for something material. What do you say, hi, Viva, can you remember that? Don't do ordinary work for something material. And what's the name of this little, what's this little girl? What's your name? Radhika. How old are you? Five, and you're also just listening. Okay, Radhika. So this is the first thing for you, Radhika. Don't do ordinary work for material things. Okay, second thing. Very interesting. Lorca Piladev doesn't just say, do spiritual work. He doesn't just say, do it. He says, have what? Moksha, Dharma, what's the word? Vrati. And I love this because this is connected with the Manasiksha verse <coughs> 1. Where Raghunathas Goswami has this word rati. Have rati for everything connected with devotion. Rati means you really like it. Usually we have rati for things in this world. We have rati for pizza. We have rati for ice cream. We have rati for, you know, a new car. And if you're only five, the car is only this big, but still... This is what we have rati for. We have rati for our clothes. We have rati for another living being. Maybe we have rati for a dog, or we have rati for our, you know, friends. That's usually what we have rati for, isn't it? This great attachment. But that kind of attachment for the things in this world, and the attack. We also have an attachment for our false ego, don't we? People saying, "You are great." 
You are wonderful. You are awesome. We like that very much. This is what we have Rati for. Right? And the way you can test that is the next time someone says, You stink. You're terrible. If you just go, eh, then you don't have any Rati for the false ego. And if you go, What do you mean? I'm terrible. Then you know you have Rati for the false ego. So usually we have Rati for these things. We have Rati for things for our senses, things to see, to touch, to tell, to smace, to taste, to smell, <laughs> to hear. And we have Rati for people saying how wonderful we are. So instead here, we are told to have Rati for moksha dharma. Actually have attachment for it. We should be attached to the things which are going to liberate us from our false ego. Now of course, Lord is not meaning moksha as just merging in the Brahman. What liberates us from our false ego is actually having the real ego. Jivaraswarapaya Krishna and Tadasa. So we should be attached to that. Oh, here's something that will bring me closer to Krishna. Wow, here's something that will help me love Krishna. Here's something that will help me serve the devotees. Here's something that will bring me closer to Srila Prabhupada. Does anyone remember the list Raghunathaswa Swami gives in the first verse of where we should have Rati? The Brahmanas, yes? Guru. Guru. The Holy Name. Sacred places. Process of surrender, particularly process of devotional service. Yes, and Gaitri Mantra. That we should have Rati for all of this. Not mechanical. This is my religious ritual that I am doing because I believe in this religion and I am supposed to do it and therefore I'm going to do it. That's not our instruction. I have a vow to chant 16 rounds, so I am going to do that. Hare Krishna. When am I going to finish this? That's not the way we should be doing We should take that same attachment that we have for the things in this world, whether you're attached to a toy car or whether you're attached to a great big car, <laughs> whether you're attached to getting good grades in school or whether you're attached to having your name on a plaque on the door, chairman of the board, whether you're attached to the love of a spouse, whether you're attached to having only two dhotis on your shelf, whatever we're attached to, we can also be attached to our renunciation. You know that, right? That was Sudama Brahmana's problem, which is why Krishna made him very rich. <laughs> Whatever we're attached to, we know how to be attached. We all know how to be attached. Everybody knows how to be attached. How does Krishna say we become attached? Second chapter, Bhagavad Gita. You think about something. As soon as you think about something, you get attached to it. And that attachment leads to intensity of attachment, karma. Guess what? We do the same thing for Krishna. We think about Krishna. If we imagine that I'm going to work mechanically and thinking about Krishna is going to fall on my head someday by working mechanically, we're in for a big surprise. That's going to be a long, 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 long path. But if I think about Krishna, because Krishna is Krishna. And what does Krishna mean? All attractive. Have you noticed we can get attracted even to a bug? If you look at it for a while, right? You watch a little bug and you can think, wow, look at that little bug. A ladybug. A ladybug. 
<laughs> or any. <laughs> no, I'm talking about actually a bug bug. <laughs> like a little butterfly or a dragonfly or even a little ant. You know, and you can watch them and you're just like, wow, look how intelligent they are. There's some people that make that their whole life study. You know, they get a PhD in the red-footed crab that lives in the one stream of the river in this one place in the world. You know, anything that we meditate on, you can meditate on your, you know, some little device that you have and you get attracted to it and you get attached to it. Isn't it a fact? It's amazing, isn't it? You know, I mean, I'm attached to this bag. It's amazing, isn't it? What things we can get attached to. So if we know how to get attached to one living entity, if we know how to get attached to a piece of metal and plastic, if we know how to get attached to a piece of cloth, we certainly know how to get attached to the sum total of everything. If we can feel such intense attachment for one other living being that will die for that person, I remember uh, reading one devotee, he said, as soon as my child was born, immediately I felt I would die for this person. If we know how to do that, we know how to become attached to Krishna. Because Krishna is the life of all that lives. Everything beautiful and opulent here is just a little tiny piece of Krishna. So how attractive is Krishna? So all we have to do is think about it. It's really all we have to do. And how do we think about Krishna? By hearing about him, by talking about him, by focusing our mind on him during Japa and Gayatri and Kirtan, by doing things for him. I'm doing this for you. And then we get this moksha dharma rati. So this is the second thing. So the first thing was don't do ordinary work for materialistic purpose. And the second thing is have attachment. So Krishna, can you help me with this? Have attachment for the things for Krishna. First thing, don't do ordinary things for the, for materialism. And the second thing is be attached to doing things for Krishna. So Drew, can you tell me what's the first thing? For materialism. And the second thing is? Have attachment for Krishna. And what's your name? Neep. Okay. Neep, can you tell me what the first thing is? For materialism. And the second thing is? Very good. I agree, but you think you could tell me? Either one. Can you tell me either of them? You know what the first one is? Don't do, what should we not do? Oh, can you tell me, Radhika? No? Okay. Next time. All right, let's look now at the third thing here. The third thing here is to control our eating. Now, I kept telling the children that Prabhupada's specific instruction here doesn't apply to them. The children should not eat half of what they want. Prabhupada says, for children, eating a lot is not a mistake. So the children should not just half fill their belly. But for those of us who have already finished growing... If we're not pregnant or nursing or something like that, and if we're not recovering from a disease, we should eat half of what we want. And of course, the main thing with eating is that we should eat only 
Krishna Prasadam. Only Krishna Prasadam. And Krishna Prasadam, this is a really radical statement in 2017 Iskhan, uh, but Krishna Prasadam should be cooked by? <laughs> Devotees. So I, I go to programs in Iskhan where they have, here's the gluten-free line, and here's the dairy-free line. Here's where you can get in the queue for gluten-free prasadam. Here's where you get in the queue for dairy-free prasadam. But there was no carmi grain-free queue. <laughs> so it was the, those of us who don't want to eat carmi grains, we had nothing to eat. So this is our, our new modern iskhan. <laughs> I, I've been to temples, I mean, where... You know, they're, they're serving some bread. I was at a, I was the temple where they serve bread for Nityananda's appearance day. And, uh, you know, I just figured, this was a long time ago, and I just figured, well, you know, if it's at the temple, I can eat it. I didn't even think to ask. And a week later, we were coming back from Harinam, and the devotee said, you know, we have to stop at this bakery, and she bought the same kind of bread. And I said, uh, what's this for? And she said, it's for the Sunday feast. And I said, you know, is that a devotee bakery? And she said, no. And then I was totally and absolutely and thoroughly shocked. And since then, I asked, even at a Hare Krishna temple with installed deities, I say, excuse me, who cooked this? Uh, so eating frugally for us primarily means eating only Krishna prasadam. And eating, there's levels of Krishna prasadam. One level of Krishna prasadam is you just buy a bag of chips and you say, Krishna, please eat this munch, munch, munch. That's one level of Krishna prasadam. And the highest level of Krishna prasadam would be the devotees grow the food. It's grown by devotees. And then it's cooked by initiated devotees with the mood of offering it to Krishna. It's offered at regulated times to properly installed and worship deities according to the proper procedures. The person who's offering it is offered it with love. Uh, that would be the highest level, and then those when we eat it, we eat it how? How should we eat prasadam? <clears throat> Remembering Krishna. Remembering Krishna. We don't want to be just like an animal eating prasadam. Of course, Srila Prabhupada, one time he was in a place where the devotees were giving prasadam to the ducks. And Prabhupada said, oh, you are feeding the ducks prasadam, they will get a human birth. They said, oh, Prabhupada, we feed the ducks every day. He said, oh, then they will go back to Godhead. But I don't know if that same situation quite applies to a human being. So if you eat prasadam every day like a duck, I'm not sure that just doing that alone will take you back to Godhead. <laughs> so we're supposed to be honoring prasadam. We're supposed to be respecting prasadam. So how can we respect prasadam? We can remember what Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said. He said, what is the taste in this prasadam? He said, everyone knows what's in it. It's just sugar and camphor and black pepper. He said, everyone knows the ingredients. But what is that amazing taste? So one time, many years ago, I was cooking in the kitchen, and there was another lady uh, who was also cooking in the kitchen, and she was making some cookies. Do you call them cookies here, or do you call them biscuits? Call them cookies. Okay. Both. Okay. So she was making some cookies or biscuits from wherever part of the world you are. Uh, of course, if you're in America, biscuits mean something totally different. And I watched her make them, and being a cook myself, I know exactly what she put into them. She put in sugar, butter, flour, and some little sodium bicarb. That was the only thing she put into those cookies. I know, because I watched her make them. And then they were offered to the deities, and they were brought to a program that evening at the local university. 
So I was speaking there about Krishna consciousness, and afterwards we were giving out the cookies to the students and the professors. There were about 120 people there. At least 40 people came up to me and said, what's in those cookies? Give me a recipe. I never had one. I was just preaching to people after the lecture, and I never got to eat one of them. But at least 40 people. And I was thinking if we told them what was in the cookies, they would be very disappointed. <laughs> if I just said there's sugar, butter, flour, sodium, bicarb, that's it. They'd look at me and they'd say, you're crazy. I remember the, the first time I had a sandesh. So I was staying at the Chicago temple, but I was working. Also, and the devotees packed a lunch for me. They packed a lunch of puri and some kind of chutney and sandesh. That was their lunch. Lunch you packed. Anyway, but that's what they packed for me. So I, I took out the bag and I looked at this little white ball. And, and those of us raised in the West, we don't, there's no food that's equivalent to that. You don't see in Western cooking a little white ball of something. It just, it's not, it's not something I've ever seen. And, and I, was, I was a professional chef before I joined the movement. So I didn't, hey, I had no idea what this was. And I was really curious, you know, looking it over. And, and I couldn't wait until lunchtime. You know, I was just so curious. What is this odd food? And I ate it, and, I, and all day long I was thinking about this sandwich. All day at work. That was all I could think about. And when I came to the temple, I said, What was in that? <laughs> and they said, Milk and sugar. <laughs> I said, No, no way. It's not what's in there. Oh, a little lemon juice. I said, Oh, well, maybe that was it. <laughs> but that doesn't explain it. Milk and sugar and a little lemon juice didn't explain the experience. There was an experience of something beyond the material ingredients. And that was because, Mahaprabhu said, what's also in there? What's the secret ingredient? Krishna is what? Krishna's saliva. The taste of God. The taste of God. What God tastes like. We often think of what God looks like. But what does God taste like? And the taste of God touches the soul. The taste of ordinary food only touches the body and maybe the mind. And the soul is simply observing, as Krishna says in the 5th and 13th chapter. The soul is just observing. The soul is not actually having the experience at all. It's something like if you play a computer game. I'm not going to ask the kids if you play computer games. But like if you play a computer game. Yes, what is one of them does? Or if you watch movies. I'm not going to ask you if you watch movies either, and I won't even look at you to see how you respond. So you may think you're getting an experience. You may think when you're watching a movie and the guy jumps from the helicopter to the roof or whatever, kills the baddies or gets the girl, you may think, I just jumped from the helicopter to the roof. I just shot all the baddies. I just got the beautiful girl. But you didn't. You're just sitting in a chair. You're not actually having that experience. Well, guess what? When we eat food, it's the same thing. When we eat food, I'm not actually eating that food. Fascinating. I'm just the observer. And because I'm identifying with the body, I think I'm enjoying it. Just like you watch the movie, and because you identify with the whoever it is, you know, Superman or whatever, you think I'm also flying in the sky. Woo! But you're not. But when we eat prasadam, because it is spiritual, we, the soul, are tasting it. What do you think, Hayat Viva? Hey, Hayat Viva. 
Hey, Viva, don't hit your mommy. That's not nice. Hey, hey, Viva. Do you know that when we eat prasadam, the soul is tasting it? It's not just the tongue, it's the soul. That's amazing, isn't it? And you think if you punch your mother, the Krishna will smile at you? I don't think so. He won't do that. So don't do that. So this is the third thing, to eat frugally. And that doesn't mean just that we live on only milk, and it doesn't mean just that we don't get fat. It means that we eat Krishna prasadam with devotion, with meditation. It's a kind of meditation. We are so fortunate. Our meditation is not just closing our eyes, looking at the tip of our nose, regulating the breathing, and sitting like that for two hours, three hours, four hours. Our meditation is eating pizza (laughs) that's offered to Krishna with love and meditating on how the taste of this pizza is God. That's our kind of dhyana. And that's our kind of eating frugally and simply. Okay, so the third thing, the third thing is to have meditative eating. Meditative eating. Radhika, do you remember any of the things again? What was the first thing? Do you remember? No? Do you remember the second thing? Do you remember the third thing we just said? What should we eat? Krishna prasadam. And how should we eat it? What should we think about when we're eating Krishna's prasadam? What do you think, Haigriva? What should we think about when we eat Krishna's prasadam? What do you say? Krishna. Krishna. Think about Krishna. How Krishna ate this. You you can also think how the food is a transformation of sunlight. You know that? Did you know that? That the plants take sunlight and turn it into food? And that sunlight is a reflection of the Brahma Jyoti? Then we take the food and with the fire of digestion we turn it into fingernails? So your fingernail yesterday, it it was rice? And before that, it was sunlight. And before the sunlight, it was Krishna's effulgence. So you can meditate like that also. So to eat in, as meditation. So to give up ordinary work for materialistic purposes. The second is to have attraction to the activities of, of Krishna. And the third is to eat as a meditation. To eat as a meditation. Alright, the fourth thing here is also a little interesting, and I brought this up at the beginning and I promised I would answer it. The Vikta Kshema Sevanam, which Prabhupada translates here, remains secluded. And in the purport he says that live in a secluded place where his yoga practice will not be disturbed. And in the word for word he translates Kshema as peaceful. The main translation for Kshema is safety to be safe and secure. That's why we have a building. We have this building so we can feel safe, right? What are we safe from in this building? The rain. The rain. Right? This morning it was raining and you run into the building where you're safe from the rain. We also hope that we're safe from thieves in the building. Right? Safe from the wind. Safe from the sun. Safe from insects. We try to be safe. Although in some parts, like in New Zealand, they don't put screens in their windows. Never can figure out what's up with that. 
You know, and, and instead you have to plug in these toxic things into the wall instead of just putting a screen in your window. So the idea of a shelter is that you, you have a feeling of shelter. Duh. You have a feeling of safety. And when Krishna says, near yoga kshema atmavan, and yoga kshema baham yaham, he says, don't worry about yoga, the things you want to get, and kshema, the things you want to keep, the things you want to keep safe. He says, near yoga kshema atmavan, he says, don't worry about what you want to get, and don't worry about what you already have. Shema there means what you already have, what you want to keep safe. Atmavan, just think about the self. How can you, what, what, what happened to all my things? How can I, near yoga kshema atmavan, how can I just sit here thinking about the self? I've got all these other things I have to worry about. This is what happens to us perhaps in Japa and in Gayatri. We sit down in Kirtan, we sit down to think about Krishna or in, in Shastra class, and instead our mind goes, what about this thing I need to get? What about that that I need to get? What about this that I need to protect? So just to say, no, no, don't think about yoga kshema, just atmavan, being the self. How do you do it? Yoga kshema vaham yaham. Krishna says, I'm worrying about that. My guess is that Hayagriva and Radhika are not worrying about how to pay the mortgage. <laughs> they probably aren't worried about at all. I bet you Krishna is not worried about that either. Do you worry about that? Do you worry about how, you're gonna, how your parents are going to pay for your house? Do you ever think about that? No. He doesn't even know what I'm talking about. He's like, what? <laughs> What's that? Okay. So why do children not worry about these things? Because I know the parents are worrying about them. A child doesn't worry, am I going to eat? Do you worry whether or not you're going to eat? Maybe you think I'm going to talk too long to you. <laughs> but you know your parents are going to take care of you. Isn't it right? Right, Drew? Yeah, my parents are going to take care of me. Do you worry whether or not you're going to have clothes? Do you think, am I going to have clothes? Am I going to have clothes? No. Because your parents are going to worry about it. And then you can concentrate on what you really want to do, which is probably just playing. <laughs> but the idea is, you know, the children can concentrate on their studies because their parents are worrying about everything else. That's the idea. Just concentrate on your studies. And I'm going to worry about your food. I'm going to worry about your clothes. I'm going to worry about your shelter. I'm going to worry about the vehicle. I'm going to worry about medical. Even parents will worry about, do you have friends? They'll even take care of the things you don't need. They'll make sure you have toys and games and friends and exciting places to go to. Don't your parents do all that for you? That's even extra stuff. So Krishna will worry about that. So does this verse literally mean go to a place where there is safety and peace? My dear friends, is there any place in this world where there is safety and peace? Is there a place in this world where there is safety and peace? You can go to Lord Brahma's planet. Is he always feeling safe and peaceful? No. The demigods are coming to him. There's a problem on the earth planet. Right? And then he's in anxiety. What to do? He has anxieties. Is Indra, is he always feeling safe and peaceful? No. Like Balimars comes with his army. We might think, you know, well, I'll just go hang out, you know, on some mountain somewhere. When, when life gets us down, we think, let me find a safe, peaceful place. 
Maybe if I move here, maybe if I just close my door and put on noise-canceling headphones. I, I know, I know, I'll go to Vrindavan. That's a really peaceful place. And you've been to Vrindavan recently. Especially for Kartik. Very safe and peaceful place, what would you say? <laughs> I'll go up to the Himalayas. Are we going to find that? Is that, is that what Lord Kapiladeva is suggesting? That we find some place, some physical location? What is he suggesting here? He's suggesting a state of? Mind. Of mind, a state of consciousness. Now if we have that consciousness, we're not going to want to live in a very hectic place unless that's for our seva. If it's for our service, and then we're willing to live anywhere. You're willing to go anywhere, like Prabhupada wrote in his poem, I don't know why you brought me to this terrible place. So for service, we can go anywhere. So naturally, a devotee wants to live in a conducive place. They want to live in a temple, or they want to live by the devotees. They want to live where it's not so hectic. But the main place where we're going to find safety and protection is if we are always situated where? In this room. In this room. <laughs> we're always situated in devotional service we're always a Krishna's lotus feet in our consciousness okay. Okay. please pick me up and uh, place me as one of the atoms at your lotus feet that is a safe and secure place okay so these are the four points if we want perfection to what was the first one Gave up, don't do ordinary work for materialistic purposes. What was the second one? Yes? Be attached. Be attached to Krishna. The third one. Eat Krishna Prasadam while remembering Krishna. And the fourth one is always be in a place that is safe and peaceful. Always be in a place that is safe and peaceful. And Lord Kapiladev says, if we do these things, uh, then uh, this will lead us to the perfection of life. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions, corrections? Maybe Vijay still wants some donations. You can give that to him outside. <laughs> he asked for that yesterday. Yes? What's the light of virtue that differentiates between Dharma Dharma and normal Dharma? What's the... Like, what's the line of virtue that differentiates between Dharma and normal Dharma? Gramya Dharma is normal Dharma. Gramya Dharma and normal Dharma is exactly the same thing. Gramya, that of the village. Gramya literally means village. Ordinary work that is done in this world. So, ordinary work that's done in this world, if we analyze it according to Varnashram, it means when you're young, you go to school, you get an education. When you're in the youthful stage of life, you get married, you have children, you make money for the society. When you're in middle age, you practice austerity and you start detaching yourself. And when you're in old age, you die before dying, you prepare for death. And when you're in the youthful stage, when you have a family and you're making money, then whatever you do, you do according to your nature. You do for the benefit of others, not just for yourself. You do for the benefit of the whole social body. You do in harmony with the universe. And you do as a protector rather than an exploiter. 
Those are the basic principles of ashram and varna. So that's ordinary work. That's gramya dharma. And gramya dharma is usually done so that I can become prosperous in this world, so that my senses will be happy with nice things to touch, see, smell, taste, and hear. So people will praise me and my ego will be satisfied. And so I can get a nice birth next life. The interesting thing about these activities is that you will prosper materially if you do them. Yes, you will prosper materially if you do So, and of course that can be a challenge, you know. <clears throat> but uh, it's quite amazing. Yes, it's a fact. If you do the Dharma, ordinary Dharma given in the scriptures, you will prosper materially. You, you really will. Like Prabhupada says, if you die purely in the mode of passion, You'll take birth as a king or a very rich person, a very powerful person. Mode of passion is, is dharma, performed from my own ego. Mode of ignorance is adharma. Mode of goodness is dharma, performed from my inner sense of balance and harmony. Yes? Thank you for the wonderful As you mentioned, the third point, when it was happening, even we have seen that sometimes even when you have with the devotee, for devotee friends, normally the talks are not always about Krishna, and it could be anything, it could be material like an award. So, uh, can you some tips on like when on cooking and when honoring Prasada? Uh, okay. When cooking, when honoring Prasada, I mean, the way I was trained in the old ISKCON was we were not allowed to talk in the kitchen. And the only thing you could say in the kitchen is, can you hand me the knife? Where's the cauliflower? We were not allowed to speak. And we would usually play uh, Prabhupada lectures, or sometimes we would play kirtans. I, I remember one time, I, I don't know if it was just a, an ordinary day, I don't think it was a festival day, but I remember I was in the room across from the kitchen, and I was either making garlands or polishing the silver or something like that. And then the boys in the kitchen, we were all having a kirtan. And everybody who walked, in all the different rooms, we were all having a kirtan together. So that's actually Prabhupada's standard. Prabhupada's standard for meals also was silence. And just uh, hearing. So either silence or hearing. I know in the Gurukula I would play audiobooks during meals. Uh, if you go to the Los Angeles temple, there'll be a devotee who will read Prabhupada's books during your meals. He reads them very loudly. So there's no question of anyone else speaking. Of course... He's just reading straight through the books, and so sometimes he gets to parts in the books that are really inappropriate for prasadam time. I was there once for this wonderful breakfast. It was croissants and all of that. It was an incredible breakfast. And he's reading, and then the vultures of hell sweep down and pluck out their eyes. <laughs> yes. Um, so it, that was not very favorable, actually, for meditating on the prasadam. Oh, he was an Abhidut, yes. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's also our internal state, and you can try to choose your associates. But what, what I've noticed is that, you know, we talk about uh, speech in Manashiksha, not speaking about ordinary things. What I've noticed is that there's many different levels of our associates, even in the Hare Krishna movement. And there's some people you can just talk to about Krishna as Nam Guna Rupa Lila. Those are my favorite friends. Then there's people that we talk to about, you know, our practical service in, in, in this world. And then there's people that 
they're just talking about their problems in this world. You know, some people like that. That's the only thing they ever want to talk about is, is this and that problem. Uh, I try to avoid those people as much as possible. What the Christian writer C.S. Lewis said is, is they complain so much that they cease being a person who complains and they start to become simply an incessant whine. They start to become personified complaining. So try not to eat right next to somebody like that. Just like when I'm taking prasadam, I avoid sitting next to any child who is two and under. If a child is two and under, I like to have some distance between me and them because having fed a lot of very young children, uh, the food doesn't all go in the mouth. Especially wearing white clothes, you know, I really don't want to be decorated with tomato and turmeric and stuff like that. So if you also find if there are people that all they want to talk about is the latest cricket match or all they want to do is whine and complain, maybe you keep some distance like you would from a two-year-old child. Choose some other associates for your prasadita. Is that all right? But make sure that you're not one of those two-year-old children yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, did you have something else? Um, just on uh, eating frugally um, sometimes backfires on the food. Mm. So, um, Prabhupada didn't really, at least to my, my understanding, didn't really encourage um, frugal eating as much as he encouraged the devotees to take prasadam and be satisfied. Yes, exactly, which is why I emphasize prasadam rather than frugal eating class because Prabhupada definitely did not emphasize frugal eating. He emphasized meditative prasadam eating and proper cooking and offering of the food rather than just simply frugal eating. But we should also not eat excessively. I mean, that's, we shouldn't be gluttonous. Yeah, because very often we are engaged in uh, intense physical activity. And if you're, if you're not properly nourished... Then you're going to get sick. And not only that, you'll mentally be struggling also. So you'll, you'll be sensually and emotionally... Uh, struggling. Yeah. Well, I know when I was the head cook at our Yidanagari farm, so the devotees who were out working in the field, especially the young men who were out working in the fields with the oxen and the grain and stuff, I mean, they could easily eat 15 or 20 chapatis. You know, and that was, that was frugal for them. That was frugal eating for them. Because that, that's what they, they needed for their health. So, you know, what's frugal eating for one person is not frugal eating for another. That's, and it depends. And at different times also. I mean, I was reading that the, at, a, at the chess masters tournaments, the players are burning 6,000 calories a day by just sitting in one place playing chess because they go into this high stress mode. So yeah, what, what frugal eating is really depends on how old we are, what we're doing, what's happening in our life. But the point, I, I understand the point here is don't be gluttonous that gluttony is, is, is detrimental to spiritual life. There's no good gluttony. <laughs> you know, like that, that gluttony is always detrimental to spiritual life. But thank you for that point. Did you have another question? Yeah, Mahathir. You were speaking about Monday talks. You, I think sometimes we do need to have some Monday talks to people when you're, when you're accosting a person for the first time. And so that 
you could strike a conversation with the person and then you could build up the relationship and then give him the tour. Well, absolutely, and that's what Srila Prabhupada would do. Prabhupada would meet people and he would say, how are you, how's this, how's that. He would, he would engage in what we normally call small talk. And sometimes Srila Prabhupada would just listen to people, even materialistic people. I remember which devotee who said that Prabhupada just listened to his father and said almost nothing. And at the end, the father said, that was the most wonderful man I ever met. Because hardly anybody ever listens to us about anything. So, so Prabhupada knew how to win over the person's heart. But ultimately, you have to be the judge. Is the way I'm speaking bringing me closer to Krishna or not? Prabhupada says, you don't take a certificate from others. You judge your own consciousness. Am I getting more and more attached to Krishna? And I mean Krishna. I mean the, the beautiful Radhavalava, the flute player. I don't mean some, am I getting more attached to a philosophical conception? Because you might say, well, I'm getting more and more attached to criticizing the devotees to purify his kind. And that's getting more and more attached to Krishna. Okay, I meet people like that. And I've been there myself. That's not getting more and more attached to Krishna. Bless you. More and more attached to Krishna is I start thinking of Krishna's name, form, qualities, and pastimes. I start feeling joy and peace in my heart. I start feeling satisfaction. So rather than thinking of what kind of mundane talk can I justify, instead of thinking like that, notice what am I speaking about and how does it affect my consciousness? How does it affect particularly my attraction to Okay, we should end here. Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.